0: Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. This time I wanna talk about three ways to make the argument for compliance. As always, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already please get in touch with us uh, by email or uh, carrier pigeon or however, we'd sure love to hear from you. We are always looking for ideas, not only for the podcast, but uh, for other um, uh, one-offs such as webinars. Uh, As I mentioned recently, I'm going to be announcing a new slate of webinars as we head into the fall. Summer's hard to do webinars. We're all very busy. People are in and out. Uh, But now that we're kind of settling back in as the summer ends and we hit Labor Day, um, we're going to put on a fresh slate of webinars for the fall, so look for those. So uh, three ways to make the case for compliance. Uh, This is something that's come up recently in a couple of conversations that I've had and I wanted to uh, touch base with you all about it. Oftentimes as the person or persons responsible for compliance and ethics at your organization, uh, whatever your title might be, uh, you also are the chief marketing officer for compliance and ethics. Uh, And uh, that might entail you making the case, uh, obviously, to the the broader group of all of the employees and other stakeholders so that they uh, join you in the quest to have an ethical culture and an organization that is in compliance with your policies, rules, regulations, and laws. Uh, And also, uh, not uh, not infrequently, uh... you need to get a budget to do that and many and many other things that you need to do and in that case you need to uh... make the case for compliance uh... to a board of directors or an executive team uh... or or others that hold the purse strings and this is a, a constant uh... source of uh... difficulty for many uh... compliance officers uh... not in uh, no in no small part because many of you like me, uh, we're trained as lawyers, and we are not very good with budgets. Uh, we're not very traditionally, some lawyers are, uh, not very good with budgets, not very good with uh, sort of long-term planning uh, and making the case, if you will, uh, for budget or for the importance of compliance generally. Um, I think that traditionally we make the case with one of the things I'm going to talk about here, one of the three things, uh, but we don't always use the other two. And I, and I want to talk uh, about all three that I think make up a good mix uh, for a successful argument to be made for compliance. And that's, you know, maybe a specific compliance initiative that you have uh, in mind, like revising your code of conduct, a project, or just generally for the importance of Uh, Portioning resources and dollars uh, towards compliance. So what's the first thing? The first thing is the easy one for me and probably for a lot of you, again, particularly for those of you who have a legal background. It's the one we often make. It's the one uh, where everybody goes to jail and all kinds of bad things happen. Uh, We're very used to uh, talking about the risks in, in, in both an objective and subjective way, uh, talking about what regulators expect, uh, talking about uh, the sentencing guidelines, um, and, and other um, uh, regulatory aspects to compliance. That's something that we're pretty well versed in. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but I think it's an important component still. Uh, when you're making the case for compliance, and this, this also applies to when you're uh, communicating to the stakeholders of your organization in and, and training, uh, to also have some aspect that talks about consequences, uh, some aspect that talks about what regulator expectations are. We spend a lot of time talking about this, uh, not only to our stakeholders, not only to those who hold the purse strings at our organizations, uh, but we talk about it a lot amongst ourselves. Um, If you look back through the list of podcasts for Compliance Beat, you're going to see Uh, several where I talk about the sentencing commission and the sentencing guidelines and DOJ guidance. I'm going to get back to, I always say I'm going to get back to, but I am going to get back to a more detailed analysis at some point at uh, what the DOJ has said and hopefully they'll say some more as we move on here into the future, that'll that'll help uh, us have a better idea of what the expectations are. That's all very important. It's in, it's very important for uh, the the managers of your organization, the the executives, the board of directors, and all the stakeholders to understand what the consequences are, what the potential downsides are, what uh, uh, regulators are expecting, and what makes a compliance program effective under the sentencing guideline standards and effective in the eyes of the Department of Justice or other regulators, including regulators around the world, not just here in the United States, uh, because compliance is an aspect of many, many uh, regulatory regimes around the world, not just here in the United States. So that's an important thing. And, and I, as I said, I think this is the one area where, where uh, many people uh, who are responsible for compliance already have a pretty good handle. They uh, already have some ammunition in mind, uh, some 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 war stories to talk about uh, where things have gone wrong, or uh, they have uh, the uh, 2017 February 2017 DOJ memo in their hip pocket uh, to talk about what the expectations are. So I think we have this fairly well in hand. If you don't feel that you do, uh, again check back. Um, Uh, on some of the podcasts that I put out in the last year or so that talk about the DOJ guidance. Uh, I think that will give you uh, a lot of ammunition, if you will, uh, for that first piece of making the case, which is uh, what I would say is sort of the regulatory risk uh, worst case scenario uh, component of, of making the case. The second thing that I want to talk about is an empirical case, and an empirical case based on primarily benchmarking. Um, This can be uh, more or less sophisticated depending on what kind of empirical data uh, you have access to. Some organizations have a lot of data. You collect a lot of data internally. uh, But uh, some organizations do not. And you may uh, be doing more of a uh, peer benchmarking exercise here. But basically what you want to do is, again, uh, let's take the case of code of conduct uh... you know an individual project that you want to undertake well if you uh... want to make the case the empirical case of the importance of uh... updating your code of conduct well um, probably what you'll do what many people do is you'll go out and find uh... several codes by peer organizations both in your sector and in other sectors um, and, and uh, uh, compare and contrast the content, the design, uh, how uh, the code is applied, um, the language, uh, the, all the different aspects, all the risk topics that are covered uh, and, and, and you know, either formally or informally put together a benchmarking exercise uh, that, that, sh- that compares and contrasts what you have in place versus what peers do. That's, that's a pretty easy uh, empirical way to make the case uh, that uh, perhaps you need to do some updating uh, based on what you're seeing uh, other peer organizations have, either the content or the or the presentation of the information in the code of conduct, and you can apply that b- more broadly across the entire. Uh, compliance program that you're responsible for uh, again either do, through informal or formal benchmarking of different aspects of your program and you can break it down by the seven hallmarks of the sentencing guidelines or any other criteria that you uh, might might uh, have available and for those of you who gather a lot of data internally uh, whether you have uh, uh, internal surveys of the population for perception or or knowledge assessment of of uh, of what they're supposed to do in certain risk situations, or whether you even have even more detailed and granular data about reporting and uh, 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 misconduct and, and and other things that are going on within the organization, I think you take all you bring all of that to bear. You have the empirical argument uh, ready to go, uh, so that you can say, "Look here, uh, we've surveyed our uh, employee base uh, twice in the last four years." And when we've asked questions about uh, whether they know what to do when they see some form of misconduct, the answers aren't so great. So that tells us that we need to probably have some training, some communication, maybe update our code of conduct and other uh, written standards so that they understand what their um, uh, what the options are in that circumstance. Uh, you you make an empirical case uh, for why, in particular, the things you want to do. Uh, make sense and and are responsible uh, to do uh, based on the risks that the organization faces and then the third thing that I I think is important to have in your argument when you're going to make the case for compliance is also another one um, that's probably not as well used as the first one and that's making the functional case uh, what I call the functional case and what I mean by that is you want to be able to talk about how uh, what you're suggesting um, uh, is functionally going to positively affect the business, how um, creating a new code of conduct, uh, training on that new code of conduct is going to reduce uh, uh, the incidents uh, that come up that, uh, that take away the investigations and other incidents that take away uh, from the bottom line. Um, or uh, if you want to implement a new training regime how that new training uh, tool or system is going to reduce the number of hours that people are out of uh, out of action so to speak or out of production uh, for compliance training activities. Uh, Increasing efficiencies Uh, you know the functional business case for what you need to do the bottom line case the bottom line business case as to why it's important and that bottom line business case will be I think primarily those two things either increasing uh, efficiencies reducing uh, uh, resource issues or um, potentially affecting uh, ongoing issues with investigations or other compliance failures that are affecting the bottom line uh, you have to appeal to the bottom line. You have to make a functional business case. Um, so I think if you do those three things, if you, if you have some regulatory uh, uh, stories or, or, or a uh, risk story to tell, um, that is always going to be part of this. Uh, you also need to be able to show uh, that uh, what's going on with your peers, have some benchmarking, some empirical data, And then you need to make the functional business case, the bottom line case as to how this is going to save dollars uh, long term. You have to think uh, when you're in an enterprise, a business enterprise, you have to think uh, in that bottom line way, or at least have part of your argument that's going to be that bottom line argument. Um, I know that we spend a lot of time talking about ethical culture and how uh, no amount of commercial pressure, uh, no amount of business success can overtop uh, the importance of uh, an ethical culture, uh, and and I think that's important and that's part of the message that we uh, send out to people to make sure that they make the right choices. Uh, but when you're talking about budget, you need to talk about budget. You need to talk about dollars, and you need to be able to. Uh, have that conversation. Otherwise, I think you're always going to find yourself sort of on the short end of the stick there. Um, Anyway, uh, I think if you concentrate on those three things, uh, you can put put together a pretty colorable argument uh, to the powers that be um, about the importance of either the particular project or initiative that you're trying to get funded or budget in general. Um, I hope you found that helpful. And uh, if you have any questions or anything else that you would like to talk to us about, please, please, please do. You can contact us on our website at compliancebeat.com, at moreheadconsulting.com, uh, or you can email me directly. As always, I'm happy to get your emails at eric at uh, Until next time, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Morehead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moreheadconsulting.com.